Good morning, CPC. My name is Will Cody, and I'm the campus minister at Austin Peay State University for Reform University Fellowship. That's our campus ministry of the PCA. And it's always a privilege to be up here um, and get to preach. And the last time I was up here, about a month ago, we finished this uh, series that I was kind of doing when I had a chance to preach on the, the epistle of James. And we read in James 5.13, I think we have this text um, up here, but James said, is anyone of you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And that word for praise there is literally the Psalms. So pray the Psalms, uh, sing the Psalms. So I thought, why don't we put both of these exhortations into practice today and actually and do what James says here. Um, our text this morning is going to be from the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is this, it's right in the middle of your Bible. Uh, if you just open it to the middle, you'll be in the Psalms. I'm pretty sure that'll happen. And it's 150 songs that God has given to his people for us to sing to him. If you're not familiar with the book of Psalms um, and all the songs that are in the book of Psalms, there's a great introduction, um, a great summary introduction by this theologian named John Calvin. He has a book on uh, the Psalms. And he writes this, this is his description of the Psalms after he's read them all and studied them. He says, um, I have been accustomed to call this book, the book of Psalms, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of the soul. For there's not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to the light all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities. In short, all the distracting emotions with which the mind of people are inclined to be agitated. It's a great description of the book of Psalms and the anatomy of the soul. Calvin is saying that he finds the whole spectrum of human experience mirrored back to us in these songs. So that wherever you're at right now, or wherever you're going to be in the future, you can find your experience here in this book. But at the same time, the Psalms are not meant to be primarily expressive. Um, we don't just sing them merely to express how we're feeling right now in the moment. Like I used to do when I was on my way, I remember on my way home from high school, uh, being very sad and angsty and unhappy and just blasting Radiohead and just, uh, it felt so good. Somebody felt me, somebody knew what I was feeling. Um, they are expressive, but they're primarily formative, the Psalms are. They show us how we ought to think and feel as we sing them, how we ought to respond to what's happening in our lives, as we meditate on them and sing them and pray them. The Holy Spirit forms us as we do this. It forms us and changes our character to be more and more like the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we can expect as we sing and pray, meditate on the Psalms, you can expect to be formed and changed by the Holy Spirit. And we're even going to sing the Psalm today that we're gonna be studying. We're actually gonna sing it today at the end of our service. And we can expect to be changed by God. So our Psalm for today is going to be Psalm four. And Psalm four was written 3,000 years ago. Isn't that crazy? We're singing these songs that are 3,000 years old. Think about how long this has been sung by God's people and how many of God's people we're joining with as we sing this psalm to God. Um, psalm 4 was written by King David, and it is a song of suffering. It is a song of cheer at the same time. It's a song of confidence, and we can, so we can pray it, and we can sing it like James tells us to do. So let's read Psalm 4. I'm going to open the middle of my Bible and see if I get to the Psalms. Proverbs, of course. Uh, before Proverbs... <laughs> 
All right, so Psalm 4. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call on him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, for you alone O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The grass withers and the flower fades and the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we pray you would form and shape our hearts as we get into your word here and as we sing your word later. And we pray you would send us out here, out of here, people who trust in you alone for everything, that we need you and we have you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. So one time when I was in college, I and some of my friends rented a cabin on the top of this hill in the Smoky Mountains. And it was so long ago, I don't remember much about that weekend, but I do remember when we were leaving, and this is why I remember that weekend at all, something that happened when we were leaving. My friend, Jonathan Jackson, who's somebody here, uh, Corey and uh, Leanne know, randomly. So Jonathan, my friend Jonathan Jackson, he was gonna give me a ride home, and we were in his car in this dirt driveway in front of this cabin on the hill, and he started backing up as we were leaving, reverse, and all of a sudden, we ground to a gritty halt suddenly, and the front right of the car started to go up into the air, and I turned around to look at what Jonathan had done, and I realized he had driven the back left, the driver's side wheel tire off of the side of a cliff. So we were like precariously, wily coyote-like, you know, balancing on this cliff. We were inches away from tumbling down this cliff. So we both instinctively start to scramble to get up to the front right side of the, of the car, and as I'm scrambling up, I see my friends who are also leaving, and I start screaming, we both start screaming to them, maybe said a few bad words along the way, but we were screaming to them, trying to get them to realize this precarious, dangerous situation that we were in. We were saying, come and help. So thankfully, my friends did hear, they realized that we were the dangerous situation that we were in. They ran over, and a couple of them sat on the front right of the car to keep us balanced. And so I opened the door, and I got out pretty quickly, and then Jonathan had to undo his seatbelt and kind of gingerly, you know, slope out of the car. And he was safe, too. Because we were really strong, we were out of the car, we were able to, me, me and some of my other friends, we picked the car up and lifted over to safety onto solid ground, and we were safe. Now, Jonathan and my desperate cry for help comes to mind when I read verse one in this psalm. Answer when I call. David is in trouble, and the only one who can help him is the God of his righteousness, the God who vindicates him. And David says, you've helped me before when I was in distress. Be gracious to me again. Turn to me, God. Hear my prayer. I'm in trouble. Answer me when I call. Help me. Um, when I called to my friends, there was this desperate urgency. I knew that I was in trouble. And at the same time, if they just heard me, if they just heard me, I knew that we would be okay and everything would be taken care of. David knows that in the middle of his troubles, in the middle of others' troubles, in the middle of your troubles, God provides ultimate peace and safety as we trust in him, no matter what our circumstances look like. And he needs God to help him 
He needs God to help others experience him in their distress, in our distress. So what does he do? Naturally, what does he do? He calls out to him, help me. Now, the big idea of this psalm is that ultimate peace and safety is a result of trusting the Lord. It's a result of ultimately trusting the Lord. And if this is true, David's gonna, uh, David, who wrote this, is going to give us three scenarios, three circumstances that are all kind of linked together where he wants you, he wants us, to trust the Lord and find ultimate peace and safety in him alone. Whether you're in trouble now or maybe God is forming you right now for the future when circumstances arise. He wants you to be formed and ready to trust him when things go down. So here are our three scenarios, our three points. David wants you to trust the Lord when you're attacked. He wants you to trust the Lord when you're angry. And he wants you to trust the Lord when you or others around you are miserable. All right? So first, we should trust him when we're attacked. Look with me in verse two. David writes, Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call on him, call to him. So here's this first scenario that David wants us to enter into from a stand in David's shoes for a minute. Um, you know, there's sometimes in the Psalms where David is like uh, getting attacked and his life is at stake. Like Psalm 3, the one right before this, he's running for his own life from his son who's trying to kill him, Absalom. But in this text today, it's not actually his life that is at stake. It's his reputation that is at stake. It is his reputation that's being attacked, which can feel like dying, I guess, probably. Um, there are people lying about him. There are people talking about him and ruining his good reputation. They're turning his honor into shame. That's what he, how he phrases it here. And they seem to be talking behind his back and slandering him. And maybe he's hearing whispers of this and he doesn't know exactly what they're saying, but he knows that there's lies and he's hearing these half-truths. And David, even though he is the king of Israel, he's powerless to stop this. He's completely powerless. It's just swirling all around him. Um, I'm sure everybody here probably at some point has heard of people talking about us behind our backs or people maybe assuming the worst about your motives and then going around and sharing that with people as if it's the truth. And it is uh, miserable. It is a miserable experience to, to have. It's, and it's driving David crazy. He says, how long, twice, how long? Like he feels like this is never going to end. Um, I can imagine the, the paranoid, lonely, confusing state that David must be in, in what he's describing here. You don't know who is on your side. You don't know who is talking about you, who is against you, who maybe that you thought was on your side is actually not on your side, you realize. It's maddening. So let's just notice here for a moment the simple fact that David is extremely bothered by this. He's expressing that he is extremely bothered by this. He doesn't pretend like it's not bothering him. It is extremely distressing to him. He's not telling God, I, I don't care what those haters say about me. There's an idea I've had, and I've had this idea before too, that if I just tell myself I don't care or tell myself they don't matter or maybe tell others I don't care, somehow that will make the loneliness that I'm experiencing, the hurt that I'm experiencing, the frustration and the confusion go away. But David is laying it all out there. He's saying, this is so bad. I hate this. This is so bad. He's laying it all out there in this prayer but notice something else about this prayer, and the Psalms do this a lot, and you gotta like kind of see what's going on. 
um, in his song that he's, ultimately he's praying this to God, but he's speaking, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to his enemies in his prayer to God. Isn't that interesting? He's telling them in this prayer in verse three, he's imagining himself telling them, hey all, know the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Now that word for godly there means the one on whom God's steadfast love rests. It's speaking about those who have grabbed on to God's steadfast love. They belong to the Lord. And the Lord hears them when they call. David's saying, what y'all are doing hurts, but God has set me apart to love me and he will take care of me in the midst, in the middle, right now while you're doing this. He is going to take care of me despite my circumstances. So when we sing this song, we're singing out, not just, it's not just a, a mind kind of spiritual inside thing. We're using our bodies to actually express to our enemies, God's got me. God's got me. You don't think so, but God has got me. He's taking care of me. Even if the enemies aren't physically present, this is what we're doing. We're talking to our enemies in, in, in front of God. We're saying, hey, y'all, I'm getting really tired of this crud. <laughs> it really bothers me what you are doing, but you need to know that God's steadfast love rests on me, and he hears me when I call to him for help. He takes care of me, and that's what matters at the end of the day. This is what we do when we sing this psalm. Notice David draws nearer to God in the middle of his distress, in the middle of this distress, he uses this opportunity to draw close to God and draw near to God in this trial. And singing this changes you, it forms you. This is where you get peace and you realize that he's got you. This is what it looks like to trust in him when you're attacked by other people. To proclaim to yourself, Notice, I'm proclaiming to myself, I'm proclaiming to God, I'm proclaiming to my enemies, I'm proclaiming to anyone else who's listening that I belong to God and he's got me and he's gonna take care of me so I can trust him. So when you are attacked by other people, trust him when you're attacked. And David goes on in verses four and five and he's gonna tell us that we need to trust in him when we're angry. So uh, verse four and five David writes, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Now here he's not talking about the anger that you get when you step on a Lego, uh, when your car won't start, when you realize you've run out of Coke Zero. Uh, he's talking about personal anger toward a person. Um, this is, he's talking about righteous, justified anger toward a, another person. When someone has maybe slandered you like we were just talking about or has hurt you in some, in some way or tried to wound you or um, some injustice has been done against you by a person. And David says, be angry. Notice that, so he's saying, be angry, do it. Be angry, it's okay to be angry. In fact, in the Hebrew there, it says tremble. It's a command to tremble, like tremble in your anger because you're so angry. <laughs> it says tremble in your anger. So he's saying, let yourself be angry. Let yourself be very angry. And the Bible is very clear on this. Uh, many people maybe being brought up when you were younger, you were told, don't be angry. Uh, but that's the opposite of what the Bible says. Or maybe you heard that if you're upset, you're invalidated. Or if you show your anger, you get dismissed. Or if you're mad, you get in trouble for being mad. But it's okay to be angry. That's, um, the issue is not, is not whether we're angry or not. Be angry. The issue is what are you going to do in response to your anger? David says, be angry and do not sin. For example, when, uh, with 
when I talk to my kids sometimes, I have to say, um, it's okay to be angry that they broke your toy, but you can't hit your sibling. It's okay to be angry that they did this, but you can't say mean things to them. That's not what, that's not what words are for. Um, it's okay, and it's good to be angry if someone hurts you in some way. But David says we cannot seek personal revenge. You are not the one who makes sure that they pay for what they've done. That's what we're doing when we say mean things to other people, uh, or we push, or we hit them. Um, we're making them pay the consequence for what they've done. When This is a whole other sermon, but we are to pay the consequences when people do evil against us. In, in terms of holding that revenge, the revenge is not for us. That vengeance is not for us. We take the when we forgive people, we take the consequences, in a sense, for what they've done to us and not extract it from them. So that is not what God wants us to do with our anger, extract the payment from others. Instead, David says, stop and pause and uh, sleep on it, so to speak. Ponder in your own hearts and be silent toward the one who has done you wrong and think and ponder and make sense of what's going on here and what you should do. Now, what are some things you can ponder when you're so angry at somebody? What are some things we can ponder? There's lots of things we can ponder. First, we can ponder, um, um, even these enemies are made in God's image, so I shouldn't attack them. God has prom or that God has promised, God has promised that he is going to get justice on my enemies, so I don't have to. I can forgive them. Or maybe think about how Jesus forgives his enemies. I wanna be like Jesus. What might that look like in this situation? Or maybe simply the fact that it would look really bad and petty and cringe to actually enact revenge on somebody. It looks terrible. We look terrible when we, do, when we try to get revenge on people, right? Um, these are all valid reasons to step back and ponder and, and keep from sinning. Do not sin, it says. Um, but in verse five, um, he says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. David says, at the end of the day, go offer right sacrifices. For the original audience in David's day, that meant go to the temple with a heart that is humbled and with an animal, with a lamb or a goat or um, an ox that is going to, the, this animal you bring is going to die in your place. David says, go and you're gonna find peace in your anger at the temple. Because this is how temple sacrifice worked back then in David's day. When you went to the temple, you came there because you had sinned, you, and you came there with a sacrifice. And that sacrifice dies in the place of you as your substitute. You were supposed to die, but this animal is going to die for you. He's gonna take the punishment for you because of the evil things you've done, because of the hurtful things we've done, because of the selfish things we've done. This animal is going to die in your place. And what happens is that temptation toward revenge to extract the payment myself from this person at the temple, we're all the same. At the temple, I'm standing there right next to maybe my enemy, and we're all the same. We're, we've all offended God. We're all do the same thing. We're all do death for our sins. The, the temple is the great leveler where we're all equal before God. But God has decided not to pay, make me pay for my sins. He's made a way that this animal symbolically takes my place. And if I'm really trusting the Lord, if I'm actually trusting the Lord, actually trusting 
that God is this gracious, merciful God that is going to take away the guilt of all of my sins, I can recognize that my enemy, he has done me wrong or she has done me wrong. But since I have been forgiven for all of my sins against God and others, and God has decided not to rightfully, not to make me pay, which he could have done, then I don't wanna make them pay anymore. I don't wanna make my enemies pay anymore. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. This is our new nature now. This is what we want. I want to forgive my enemies now because I've been so forgiven by God. So instead of the question, um, how can I get back at them? How can I make them feel a little bit of what they've made me feel? The question changes to what does it look like to love my enemy? What does it look like to forgive my enemy? And that question starts to grow and swell in your heart. As God's people sing these lyrics up here, we call out to one another. We call out to one another. Like, we're talking to you when I sing this song. I'm saying, be angry and do not sin. We're calling out to, to, to each other to be angry, but to not seek personal revenge against people. But to remember the forgiveness that we have found. The forgiveness that found you in Jesus Christ. He's the Lamb of God that all these animal sacrifices were pointing toward. That he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He loved you when you were his enemy. And he calls his people to love their enemies too. And it's something you now want to do. This excites you. <laughs> Even though it's hard. This is amazing. Uh, this is just an amazing gift. That we, it's a gift that we get to love our enemies. This is your new nature. So David wants us to trust in the Lord when we're attacked. He wants us to trust in the Lord when we are angry. And in our last section, he wants us to trust in the Lord when we or others are miserable. Okay? So have you ever been miserable? Um, David has been miserable. There's Psalms where he's talking about just crying all the day long. If you read 1 uh, Samuel and 2 Samuel, um, you know that he had a lot of tough, he had a crazy life, a lot of tough times. A lot of it was his fault <laughs> at the same time. Um, but he knows what it's like to be miserable. And he looks around, David's looking around, and what he sees, it says many others. There are many who are experiencing this right now, feeling miserable. David writes in verse six, Be, uh, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Light up the light of your face upon us, Lord. You have put mo more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So David is experiencing, he's hearing <coughs> all these miserable miserable people around him. Um, this could be uh, because of their enemies that they're miserable. It could be because of whatever the circumstances are. David leaves it very vague, so you can just fill in your own, um, your own experience here. And they are miserable, and they're like, won't someone show us some good? No one is good to us. No one is good to me. Nothing good is ever going to happen for me. This is never going to change. And it's obvious why they're miserable when you compare that Six, the first line and the second line. In the first line, they're looking around to people. Somebody, please save me. In the second line, we see David, it says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. It's obvious why they're miserable. <clears throat> they're looking around to people and not the Lord to meet them, to give them relief, and it's not coming. Now, I don't know if this sounds familiar to you. This sounds like my go-to. This is something that <clears throat> is a mirror to my own heart right here, looking around to people, looking around to the, 
to the world, something in the world to, to save me out of my misery. So what does David do? He intercedes for them. He says, he's talking to, to God. He says, lift up the light of your face upon us, Lord. Now, he's not the one that's feeling this miserableness, but his friends are. And he says, lift up the light of your face upon us. He, he, he uh, identifies with these miserable people. <coughs> what David is asking for is for God to transcend these miserable circumstances, these miserable hearts, and break into these people's lives, into these people's souls with himself. He's saying, bless us with yourself, not with better circumstances. He's saying, bless us with yourself. Now, David, he knows the experience of having more joy in his heart, he says, despite whatever the circumstances are. In fact, he, what he says here in verse seven, he says, <coughs> if these people were to get what they want, if they actually had everything that they wanted, namely mountains of grain and new wine, which is like the best overflowing life, um, 3,000 years ago. Um, the irony is that if they were to get all of these things, um, it's nothing compared to what, to what David, the joy that David has knowing the Lord himself and knowing that God loves him. He says, that is more joy I have in that than when grain and new wine are abundant and overflowing. So David's like, I, you, guys, you guys need to know that God loves you. But what does he do there? He does, he, does he scold them? No, he doesn't scold them. Does he rebuke them? Does he tell them that they need more faith? Does he tell them that this is unbecoming of a Christian? No, what does he do? He prays for them. He's, he prays for them. He intercedes for them that they would experience this too. He says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. So when God's people sing this, these lyrics in this psalm, they are interceding for those in the congregation, especially those in the congregation that are miserable. And he wants them to realize, and he wants God to break through their heart. We're praying for God to break through their hearts so that they would know the joy that is loving him and knowing him. Thank you, Pastor Richard. I will spill this in three seconds, I'm sure. Um, so listen, I need you to pray this for me. And you need me to pray this for you. And we need to pray this for each other. And I need to pray this for myself. This is us praying for each other in the congregation. And that's why this is in this, in this verse. We need to pray for each other that, we, that God would break through into our hearts so we could enjoy him, love him, and rest in him. So David concludes this song by this last prayer in the last uh, verse. And uh, he wants us to join in it with him. He says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So here's David, at the end of the day, at the end of this song, lying down in peace and safety that absolutely transcends whatever his circumstances are. Notice, circumstances are not changed in this song. There's not even really a call to change circumstances. It's to change me, it's to change us. He says, you alone, O Lord, you alone make me dwell in safety. Not my circumstances or that you, or that you would even change my circumstances. Those don't make me dwell safety, safely. Um, new grain, new wine, they don't make me dwell in safety. You alone make me to dwell in safety. When I'm being attacked, you are what I need. When I am angry, you are what I need. When I'm, um, when I'm miserable, you are what I need. When I'm lonely, you are what I need. 
When my car breaks down, the Lord is who you need. When my body falls apart and you die, you are what you, he is what you need. When my life is falling apart, you are what I need. Now, you may be thinking, well, actually, there's some other things that, have, that are rivals for God in my heart. There are other things that it's hard for me, it's hard for me not to trust in those things, that they are my safety and they are my peace and they are my joy. But that is why God gives us this song to sing, to form you, to make you more into the image of Jesus because Jesus' whole cry, his whole life, was that God was his all-consuming, is his all-consuming joy all the day long. He is his peace and his safety. And that's the character, that's the person that, that God is, the Holy Spirit is forming us into. So toward this end, he gives us this song to sing. And toward this end, he does even better than that. He actually gives us this meal that we're going to partake in today. You know, in baptism, the primary message is one way. It's Jesus to me, Jesus to me, saying to me, you are mine, Will. That's the primary thing, kind of thing that's happening in baptism. You are mine, Will. But in the other sacrament, the Lord's Supper, which we're taking today, it's reciprocal. So we're given the bread and the cup, and we take it, we grab it, we grab onto it, right? And we receive it, and we eat and drink it. It's Jesus to me, you are mine, and it's me to Jesus, you are mine. You are mine. It's reciprocal. We actually take hold of him in this meal. I mentioned earlier that singing is this thing that we do with our bodies. Um, it's this physical thing, corporeal thing that we do. It's not just an internal inside my mind and spirit thing. The Lord's Supper is also corporeal. It's physical. It's this physical proclamation of what Jesus has done for us, that he has died for you in your place. And eating this bread, drinking this drink, which represents his body and his blood, this represents, as you take and hold on to it, it's you saying, you alone are my salvation. We're grabbing hold of him in faith. If I just have you, I will be okay. And as we eat and drink in faith, the Holy Spirit, just the thing that we're doing physically is what the Holy Spirit's going to rot in us, will rot, right? That's not the right word. Will bring this about in reality in our, in our spirits. So anytime we're in distress, we know that we can always cry, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Now, if, if this does not describe you, or if you've not been baptized yet, or if you've not become a member at a, at a church, in, in one of Jesus' churches, or Jesus' church, we love having you here. At the same time, there are places in uh, God's word where he instructs that this is not for those who have not been baptized, not professed faith in Jesus Christ yet. So this is not for you. But if you have any questions about this, uh, this anything that happened today, anything that we've talked about today, um, please talk to me or any of the elders. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear your questions. Um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Um, if I could ask the elders to come up and musicians to come up. Um, we have the bread and the cups on these tables here. There's uh, two in one cup, so just grab one cup as you come up. And 
this bread is gluten-free and you can take the bread and then we will take the, we'll all drink of the cup together afterwards, after the song. And um, let's pray and let's take 